Welcome back to the Cape Fear Rundown. From WHQR Public Media, I'm your host, Camille Mojica. Do forgive my stuffy nose this week. I drank too much ice water, and then I think I got sick, and that's totally how that works. This week, we're going to talk to Kelly about a super cool economic forum event that she went to, and then Ben is going to join us about a long conversation when it comes to Project Grace. Stick around. Here's Kelly to tell us about the event. Welcome back to the Cape Fear Rundown. I'm here with Kelly Kenoyer. Hello, Camille Mojica. Hello, Kelly. You went to an event today. That is correct. Yes, it's the UNCW 2023 Economic Outlook Conference. It is Thursday, October 5th, and Kelly was at this super cool event, but you got to hear about something interesting. You actually texted us about it before. So tell us, what did you hear about at this event? Okay, so the keynote lunch was two cool people. It was Tom Barkin, who's the president and CEO of the Federal Reserve of Richmond. And it was Musin Gutabi, who's the regional economist for UNCW's Swain Center. So we basically got to hear a national outlook for the economy, as well as a Wilmington-specific outlook for the economy, which was really interesting to compare and contrast and just to get a good read on. Um, And the data for the second presentation was up to date as of July, so it's very recent. I was going to say, that's super near. Super prompt, yes. Very interesting. Okay, so let's walk through national and ours. In terms of comparisons, what is it looking like? What is Wilmington, what are we doing? So Wilmington is... The things that are similar are that labor is short across uh, both, both nationally and locally. Hmm. And that is, uh, it's because of a number of reasons. According to Barkin, the Fed chair, he said that uh, we were forecasting for decades that this was going to happen, that we would become short on labor. A lot of it is demographic shifts because of aging baby boomers. And, you know, my generation, millennials, are having less kids. So enrollment in grade schools is going down, birth rates are going down, and we have this glut of population at the older end that are aging out of the workforce. So there's just fewer people to actually have jobs of working age. Yeah, and a lot of people uh, actually aren't working who could be working at that upper end of the age spectrum. You know, people in their Mm. late 50s, early 60s, they're not going back to the workforce post-COVID. Okay. So that's part of the reason that we have a labor shortage across the country. The other element is that immigration policy is limiting the number of immigrants who are coming into the United States. We have lower birth rates. We also have the baby boomers aging out of the workforce, and we are limiting the number of immigrants who can come in to replace those working people. So overall, that is why labor is short. So immigrants do have a pretty big impact on our labor force is what I'm hearing. That is one of the one of many factors that he mentioned, but it was an interesting one. Um, And I think here in Wilmington, we don't have a ton of immigrants compared to other places I've lived. Um, I mean, there were entire towns in Missouri where I lived that it was like 40% an immigrant population Mm -hmm. because there was one chicken factory there that was a draw, that kind of thing. 
Um, but that's not as much the case in the Wilmington and Cape Fear region. Um, but it still is impactful. I mean, we talked to a lot of folks at the Latino Festival. This is not from this uh, the conference, but we talked to a lot of folks at Latino Festival who were talking about, wow, there's a lot of impact coming from the small businesses being created by this immigrant population, and nobody's really talking about it. So that's one of the things that I would like to cover at some point because I think it's interesting. It is interesting to hear about specifically from the Latino population. I think we've talked about it in the newsroom before that we don't typically hear from them. And I don't think a lot of people are super aware of the community and how big it is. So yeah, I'm looking forward to slowly planting seeds in there. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because coming from the West Coast, Mm -hmm. in Oregon, the Latino population is 17 or 18 percent of Mm. most cities. And here it's more like four or five percent. So it makes sense that our coverage is a little bit smaller here than it is on the West Coast. But I think that it's a pretty growing population. We talk so much about people moving here from New Jersey and New York. We don't talk (laughs) about people moving here from Venezuela, you know, and we should. Okay. So now talk to me about Wilmington. You texted us a really cool data point before from when you were actually at the conference. And I was like, excuse me, what did you say? Okay, so this is crazy. Uh, he, So the other speaker, Musin Gutabi, he put this screen, this slide up on the screen, and he said, uh, the labor market here in Wilmington is doing pretty well. You know, we have 10,000 more jobs than we did in 2019. Okay. But it's actually weaker than any other metropolitan area in the state. Um, Like all of North Carolina. In all of North Carolina, in July specifically. And he said that it was probably because the city bought the PPD building. Really? So he said that he's seeing significant declines in leisure and hospitality, which had kind of unclear reasoning why that was happening. But more notable and a more significant decline was in the professional and business sectors. And a lot of jobs at the PPD building are defined that way. So the loss of those jobs from Wilmington's local housing, from Wilmington's local economy, might be the major contributing factor for July's skewed job numbers. So he was saying that we need to kind of keep a close eye on whether that's just sort of this blip anomaly because of this Uh major change. I mean, it was one of the the biggest employers in downtown Wilmington. I mean, yeah, the building's huge. It's a huge (laughs) building. I know that Thermo Fisher had kind of reduced the workforce there, which is part of the reason they sold, but uh, it's unclear exactly how many of those jobs are remote, how many have moved to other areas, but that is probably that is probably a large part of the decline. Money. Yeah. Wages. What is going on with wages in the Wilmington region? So this kind of surprised me because I've not heard of this happening to any of my friends. Um, But he said that hourly wages in Wilmington went up 7% on average between July of 2022 and July of 2023. Really? Yes. Huh. But I think it's mostly at the very bottom of the income spectrum. He was saying those leisure and hospitality jobs, um, they are really fighting to compete for employees. Mm. So they're having to raise their wages really rapidly in order to compete in the job market with any other job. So we're seeing these fast food restaurants continuing to raise wages, same for other local mom and pop restaurants, in order to draw in any employees. But we're not necessarily seeing that anywhere else. One of the jokes he made, he's a UNCW professor and economist, he kept joking that he hasn't seen those raises. So I don't know that that's (laughs) happening at the higher end of the scale. And actually, Natalie English, who is 
our local economic cheerleader here in town. She asked a question about the sunshine tax. Um, you know, she had to kind of take a pay cut when she moved here in 2017. And she asked whether because of the rising cost of housing and mm. because of these changes in the overall housing market, whether that's changing. And uh, Musin Gatabi said, no, we still have the sunshine tax. And that means, you know, you get paid less because you want to be near the beach. That's what that means? Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about how the baby boomers are getting older and aging out of the workforce. We have quite a few baby boomers here in Wilmington, but what is going on in Brunswick County? Are there also baby boomers over there getting older? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know if they started there, but they ended up there. <laughs> is kind of the short of it. I mean, this so this region is one of the fastest growing in North Carolina okay. and honestly in the country. That I mean, Brunswick County is moving so rapidly. New Hanover County is the slowest of the three in this tri-county area, but it's still growing really quickly. It's huh. the 14th fastest growing in the state. So those folks who are here, th that population growth is not coming from birth rates. If we only had locals here, we would have declining population in all of those counties. So this is people coming from places like? Mostly other parts of North Carolina. Two really? Thirds, two thirds of the population moving here are from other parts of North Carolina. The other third are from other states, and the number one is New York. Cammie is raising her hands because she is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's New York, it's Virginia. Uh, we also get some from South Carolina and from California. And the impact of this is these are higher cost of living areas. Most of the people moving here are richer than the people who are here currently. Yes. With all the people who've moved to this region, he said $1 billion has been added to the local economy. Really? Yeah, that's how that's how much wealth is being brought in. If you look at the percent change in average income because of, yeah, it's wild. So the economic impact is really significant caused by people migrating to this region, but they're also a lot older. And so there's this question of, are they moving here to work? Uh, and the average age in Brunswick County is currently 57, and it's going up every year. That's the average? That's the average. So people are moving here likely to retire or just ahead of retirement. I've interviewed plenty of people who've done that. And you uh -huh. hear about people who are here to remote work, but there's not really good data on it, so we can't quantify it. But what we are seeing is people moving here, wanting these services, driving up the cost of housing, but they're not going to be working at the Bojangles that they want to order at, you know? Yes. So you can kind of see, like, the cross-economic impacts of all of these different strands. And it's like the cost of housing is part of the pressure that drives up the wages for the low-income earners. And that's caused, that increase in the housing cost is largely caused by the people moving here who don't want to work at Bojangles. <laughs> That's actually really, really cool to think about, that it's just one big intertwined web. That's the economy, baby. <laughs> Did you enjoy yourself at the keynote? I had a great time. I, I listen to The Indicator every day. So <laughs> this was I, Kelly's wheelhouse. I do really like covering economic news, so it, it was really fun. Cool. Well, Kelly, thank you for being in the studio with me this week and giving us the rundown, the lowdown. On the local economy? Yes, on the local economy. Thank you. You're so welcome. And shout out to UNCW for this cool conference. I will definitely want to be back next year. Thank you. Thank you. And now let's jump right into talking with Ben about Project Grace. Welcome back to the Cape Fear Rundown. I'm here with a stuffy nose and Ben Shockman. Hi, Ben. Hi, Cammie. So this week, some really big news about Project Grace. There's signs. 
There's signs up now. There are signs up there. (laughs) That's the big news. That's it. That's the episode. No, no. No, there's there's more. Yes, there is. I do do want to give them credit for their new signs, uh, and they have a great backronym. I was about to say, can you tell us what the acronym is? So the acronym is, it's obviously GRACE. Uh, It's Growth, Revitalization, Arts and Science, Community, and Education and History. So a backronym, if you don't know, is when you have like an RPG, uh, it does not stand for a rocket propelled grenade. It stands for the Russian word for it, but we've retroactively made it stand for rocket propelled grenade. Really? Yes. My other favorite backronym is Ford. Uh, Ford only runs downhill. And oh, because, so you already have the word, yes. but then you make it an acronym. Yes. And actually, Ford is a recursive uh, backronym because it, the word Ford is in the backronym Ford because it's Ford only runs downhill. Linguistics. I love linguistics. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, the county came up with a snazzy acronym. Their signs up. Project Grace is moving full steam ahead. If you have no idea what we're talking about, we're talking about the county's um, almost 10 years in the making plan to redevelop the downtown Wilmington block that is bordered by Chestnut and Grace, that's the name. Yes. Second uh, Street and Third Street. And they're going to turn that into a brand new library, a new Cape Fear Museum, and then they will have private development. So what was the issue when it came to their initial developers and money? Because the initial developers are not the same people that are currently working on the project. That is correct. And I should say, they've been calling this Project Grace uh, 2.0. I think they should really call it Project Grace 3.0, because this first popped up on our radars as journalists in, I want to say, 2017. Yes, they did mention that date, 2017. Uh, was the first time they went public with this. Um, the, the idea was, and at the time they were talking about 15, 16 story buildings in downtown Wilmington. <laughs> this would have been, those are skyscrapers by Wilmington standards. Yes, absolutely. And that didn't go anywhere. And then, so they came forward with another project. This was more recently. This is more like four, four years ago. Yes. And the pitch this time was with the Zimmer Development Corporation, and they were going to do what was effectively a lease-to-own project. So that basically means they're going to lease it for a certain amount of time before they get to actually own the land. That is correct. And so what would happen is part of the block would be given uh, to the Zimmer Development Company. Yes. um, And then they would build on it. Whatever they wanted. Yes. Correct. Um, And the county would have a little bit of a say. So they could, they couldn't, like if Zimmer wanted to build car washes, the county could say, no, no, no. Okay. So they got some insu- some assurances about what kinds of stuff would go there. Nothing granular, but they could at least ensure like, okay, we're going to have a hotel or we're going to have residential units or grocery not store. Not a car wash not, in the middle of downtown. <laughs> not a damn car wash. Yeah. And it, but it was a lease to own. So if you've ever seen like um, an errands or uh, what's the other one? I forget. There's places where you can, like, rent a huge big-screen TV for, like, $5 a month. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, like, Rent-A-Center. Yes. Um, the thing is, that huge plasma screen TV is awesome, and it's cheap every month, but you're making payments for, like, a long time. Yes, so naturally, like a credit card, there's interest. There's interest. And this, um, the, the financing, basically, the developer acts as a credit company. Oh. And pockets some of that money. Yes. And And it's taxpayer money, right? And it's taxpayer money. And so this was actually the same plan as the government center initially came forward with. And um, so anyway, that was the plan. It was a lease to own plan and the state treasurer did not like it. So the state treasurer 
is in charge of the local government commission, which he, has yeah. to do with making sure counties are responsible with really big financial moves and purchases and all sorts of types of stuff to make sure we're not putting ourselves in bankruptcy. <laughs> yes, it, it exists, I believe, because of the city of Asheville, which went bankrupt <laughs> at one point. Um, and over the years, uh, the, the local government commission has actually taken control of a handful of towns. There's actually a list right now of all the towns that they're in control of. Um, where they've just gone off the rails. Either they've gone bankrupt or they've lost control of their finances. And um, so it is chaired by the state treasurer, but there's eight other people on the board. Okay. The chair has some powers, um, including whether or not to put something on the agenda, okay. which is how he was able to block um, some projects he didn't like. He was able to sort of put the brakes on the original version of Project Grace. Okay. So then the original version of Project Grace kind of dissolved and then they decided to go with a different developer, different entire agreement for how they were gonna pay for this. Still, the LGC and tr state treasurer Dale Falwell, who is in charge of the LGC now, was not happy. Yeah, so here's the simple version is that this plan was, and, and I've spoken with Brian Eckel about this on several and occasions. who's Brian Eckel? Brian Eckel is the, he's one of the co-founders of Cape Fear Development and Cape Fear Commercial. That's the new developer that the county's going with. Yes. And he also did the government center redevelopment with the with the county. He also initially um, sort of proposed a lease to own system. Dale Falwell smacked that down too. So Brian Eckel, big person. He and he knows his way around these projects. And okay. And we'll get to this a little later. There's been a lot of criticism because he's been involved in a lot of things. Mm. Um, so put a pin in that. So what Brian Eckel told me was like, look. Dale Falwell did not like the lease to own setup. So okay. we basically rewrote it around all of his concerns. Yes. And the new plan was basically uh, he, Brian Eckel and Cape Fear Development would guarantee how much money they would pay the county for the private side of the block. It was, you know, three point something million dollars. Um, as far as we can tell, it's a pretty reasonable price. Yeah. Um, and guarantee certain, you know, we will build certain kinds of things. It's going to be a nice project. He was able to bring the price down, not just because it wasn't a lease to own, but also they kind of uh, value engineered. So they found, you know. Hundred places that they could save yeah, money. Not cheap, chintzy, but like they, there was definitely places where they could save money. Yeah. Okay. Dale Falwell still not happy. Still not happy. What Falwell wanted was. What Falwell wanted was there not to really be a public-private partnership. Okay. He just said, you want a new library? Go find someone who can build the library. It can be Brian Eckel. I don't care. But just go find that person. Give them $57 million and let them build the library. And that's it. And that's it. And then if you have leftover land on that block, which they were going to, just sell it. Just put it on the open market and let whoever wants to buy it. Um, he actually, I think he would prefer open bids. So mm. just put it up for bid. Okay. Whoever offers the most money, they get it. It's a lot of money. It's a downtown block. Falwell's point of view was, it's a lot of money. It's a downtown block. They're not going to build something lousy. Okay. Yeah. And that was the argument, and the county was like, no, we really don't want to give up the option to sort of have a hand in what goes on the private side of the development, um, and that's our prerogative. So the county's argument was, you are going beyond just making sure we're spending money wisely, because this is, we changed our plan, we're saving the taxpayers money, we have this amazing, amazing credit rating, so it's actually cheaper for them to take out a loan than it is to spend money they have. Huh. Uh, quick sidebar: They've got so much money in the bank, it's making it's making a good chunk of money um, on interest and that money that they have. 
and they're making more money in tr- interest off the money they have squirreled away oh. than they would pay in interest on taking out a loan. Oh. So th- these are problems you have when you're rich. Yes. I don't have these problems. <laughs> Me neither. Many of, many of your listeners, Cammy, will not have these problems. <laughs> but when you have $300 million stashed away. That's a lot of money. Yeah. And that was one of Falwell's other points, was he at one point suggested the county should just spend that money. Yes. So now we're getting into the whole issue of the debt financing, right? So yes. State Treasurer Falwell basically said, no, 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 no. You have so much money in your pocket. Yeah. Use that. Yeah. And then he, he kind of tempered that. He basically said, I'm not telling you to do that. But I'm mm. saying if you did that, you wouldn't have to deal with me. Oh, because, okay. Because the LGC, the Local Government Commission, really only gets um, involved if you put taxpayers at risk. Oh, I see. So okay. like taking out a loan um, or a financing agreement or something like that. If you've just got the money, he can't really interfere. Um, so huh. he's saying, if you don't like me, you can just spend that cash. <laughs> so that is kind of a way of telling him to do that, but it, it wasn't a direct order. Okay. And from several people uh, in the county who have spoken to me sort of on background, they really felt like Falwell kept moving the goalposts. And he's kind of acknowledged that. So by the time we got to the meeting this week, (laughs) the county was pretty frustrated. Yes. So now getting into the meeting. First, um, they were put on the agenda. They could talk. And it was great. (laughs) Commissioner Dane Scalise came forward and um, State Treasurer Falwell basically said, no, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to Chairman Rivenbark. Yes. And... Scalise said, no, I was the one who was assigned to speak on behalf of the county. And straight Treasurer Falwell still said, no, I want to talk to your chairman. Yeah. Then what did other board members say, though? Basically, uh, John Burns, who's another commission member of the LDC, he said, Dale, you're, oh, he didn't call him Dale, I'm paraphrasing him. <laughs> he said, uh, you're overstretching your authority. Like You, you are risking um, really going too far mm-hmm. as the chair. The county has the right to pick whoever they want to speak for them. And the county has done this in the past. Sometimes the chair has spoken, uh, and sometimes it's been county manager Chris Coudre mm. or Jennifer Rigby, who's another uh, high-ranking county official. But they were all there. The whole, Almost the whole team was there, <laughs> the whole busload of people. Also, just a side note, um, the LGC has this way of roaming around the state. They hold their meetings all over the state. Oh, really? Yeah. And so <laughs> and the idea is that, you know, you're not just sequestered away in Raleigh, you know. Okay. You're out there with the people, um, <laughs> but, but but they had to travel though, didn't they? <laughs> he waited until they were in Boone, uh, 300 miles away from Wilmington, to calendar them. Oh man! So the uh, damn near the entire county got in a bus, <laughs> and they all just went and took the six-hour drive to Boone. <laughs> um, <laughs> but all right. So in any case, yeah. Other other members were trying to pull Dale back a little bit. And then we got into so that was that was a little scrappiness. There uh, was kind of set the tone, um, and then we got into Dale's real concerns. He Dale, as the chairman, sort of has prerogatives to just sort of make statements, and he said something to the effect of, "I believe that facts matter. I believe that phone calls matter. I believe that things people tell me matters." Yes. So he's talking about a conversation that he had with previous chairwoman Julia Olson Bozeman. Yes. Um, and what he, this is a story he's told many times. Okay. And I've described this as being like a, uh, if you've, if you've seen old timey film noirs where they keep having the flashback, but each time the flashback is a little longer. Yes. Cause there's more that's it's more. Being... <laughs> and then in the final flashback, you see who the killer was. <gasps> 
And so in each time Dale Falwell has told this story, there's been a little bit more information. In this final time, which he, he said, I, if you subpoena me, I will go to court and say this on the record. You know, he was emphatic. This is, you know, I, I will stand behind this. The story he told was he was on the phone with Julia Olson Bozeman. This is back when Zimmer was still the developer. And she said, I'm paraphrasing, what this, this is Dale's account of it, is that Julia Olson Bozeman said, I don't care. Put it on the calendar, shoot it down, because I'm done with Zimmer. I have a new developer I want in, and that's Brian Eckel. So here's what Dale Falwell said. Uh, I had a conversation with the chairwoman of the New Hanover County Commissions, County Commission, Julia Bozeman, uh, the predecessor of Mr. Mr. Robin Bark, and where she expressed to me on the phone, uh, which I've since followed up with her to verify that I, my memory was good and my hearing was good, and she verified the fact that uh, as we were ending that conversation, she said, just put it on the agenda. And I called her back and I said, this is months and months ago, and I said, you made it sound like at the end of this conversation, as you were telling off, that uh, that you didn't care whether the project race was approved or not. After we'd see, received all these documents and all these letters, just like we've all been receiving once again. And she said, well, just put it on the agenda. I don't care if you voted up or voted down. And I said, I have all these documents showing, you know, your application for Project Grace in the beginning, uh, all these uh, back and forth uh, regarding the LGC about questions. And I uh, said, why did you say that and to me? And she said, because just voted up or voted down, I do not care. And so Falwell is not really connecting the dots here, but he is putting the dots very close together and sort of in a line. <laughs> okay. And what he's suggesting is that the fix was in um, and that the county had, through backdoor ways, picked Brian Eckel oh. and sort of handed him this project. So this is getting back to the pin that we put in earlier yeah. that so he works on a lot. Yeah, so take the pin out and now we can talk about this. Okay. So Brian Eckel was... The, the chosen one is what Dale is suggesting. Like, there's something, there's something untoward, there's something unethical going on. Here. It was supposed to be you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, and he, you know, he doesn't come out and say it. He's just saying Brian Eccles involved in a lot of stuff, and that's okay. true. Brian Eccles was the developer for the government center of redevelopment. There was only one other developer, and they they went with Eccles. Brian Eccles had a hand in the Bank of America building purchase that the county purchased for uh, Cape Fear Community College. Eckel basically brought this plan to the county and the college said, hey, I've got the, I've got the rights to sell this building. Um, I think this would be a great place to expand the nursing program. He sort of kick-started all of that. Um, Brian Eckel's firm that he co-founded, not him personally, but his firm, had a hand in the sale of the Thermo, Thermo Fisher building mm-hmm. to the city of Wilmington. Uh, one of the partners at the firm um, was actually the agent. Okay. Um, and then his company will handle the leasing for the floors that the city of Wilmington doesn't use in that building. And although Eckel initially said he'd have nothing to do with it, he later admitted, well, it's my company, so I'm occasionally going to have, like, I'll be in the Some... room when a conversation about it's happening. Okay. And I-, I take Dale Falwell's point. I think a lot of people take Dale Falwell's point that, wow, this guy's really involved in a lot of high dollar transactions we're talking eight figure transactions tens of millions of dollars that involve public money but some of the other lgc members pointed out look all of these things have been pretty transparent 
You know, yeah. Every time there was an RFP or an RFQ, basically, a, you know, they open the call and say, hey, who wants to do this project? Every time Eccles has thrown his hat in the ring, every time they have voted, there's been a public vote to to pick him. Yes. And those votes have, you know, been made by bipartisan uh, boards. The county commissioners is 3-2 Republican right now. Um, city council, although it's not technically partisan, definitely has Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and liberals on it. And um, over and over again, this has been a fairly public process. So then Falwell basically said, all right, I'm going to make a motion to deny this project. Yep. Then what happened? Then we went down a rabbit hole of recusal. Yes. So basically, Brian Eckel is also on Novant's board. Yes. Correct. Um, and again, it's, this is part of Dale Falwell's constellation of concerns around Brian Eckel is that this man is connected. Yes. And he really is. He's, in addition to being a, uh, a powerful and, and ambitious developer, um, Brian Eckel has not shown any interest in public office, elected office. But he was a member of the, uh, I believe he was on the hospital board at one point. He was a member of the partnership advisory group that steered the sale of New oh. Hanover Regional Medical Center, which Falwell also was highly critical of. <laughs> yes. Basically, everywhere Falwell looks, Brian Eckel is there doing something Falwell doesn't like. Doesn't like. <laughs> um, so after the hospital sale was completed, Novant picked Brian Eckel and, and also a former county commissioner, Jason Thompson, to be on what's called their big board. So there's it's, like a, it's re- called the big board. That's what I call it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if serious people call it the big board, but there's like a local regional coastal, <coughs> sorry, regional coastal board. Yes. And then there's Novant's like main board. Okay. So one of the board members on the LGC, her name is Vita Harvey. She works for Novant. Some of the other board members basically said, well, you work for Novant, which means you need to recuse yourself from this denial vote. Because if you vote in favor of the project, you're probably going to get something, you're going to get some sort of benefit from it. So you should recuse yourself. That's right. This was um, LGC member Paul Butler, who has also had some concerns about uh, Project Grace, asked Harvey to recuse herself. And uh, she seemed kind of surprised. She's like, I don't know Brian Eckel. This is the first time I'm hearing his name. Yes. So this is what she said at the meeting, basically explaining the degrees of separation. What is the name of the developer? The individual who's on the Novant board? In the application, uh, the developer is Cape Fear Commercial. And the person who is on the board of Novant is Brian Eckel. Um, If that's the case, I'm happy to recuse myself. Um, it's not, it's not a personal, uh, conflict of interest, but, um, in the effort to move this along, I'll, I'll gladly recuse. And, and she makes a good point here. Like, Novant is a large company. There are 36,000 employees. <laughs> so yeah, she's like, my boss's boss's boss. Is boss. <laughs> I, I like that. That was a good way of describing it. I know. And she was like, who was the board member that yeah. we're talking about? You know, it's like, I don't know. I don't even know if NPR has a board, but it'd be like if an NPR board member mm-hmm. and me yeah, there's you'd so be many like, degrees of separation. Who are you even talking about? So right. yeah, but that's why she argued, or she didn't even argue. She yeah. was just surprised and basically said, "Okay, well, I guess I'll abstain from voting then." Yeah, she she, I, I think she saw it as a non-issue, mm-hmm. um, but she was willing to say like, "Hey, if you got a concern, I, I will abstain." Um, but we'll, she's abstaining. She's not recusing herself. Yeah, so abstaining is interesting in that it doesn't impact the theoretical number of people who are there. So if you've got a nine-member board, you need five of them to have a quorum to legally hold a meeting. 
So because she's abstaining, she's still technically there. She's, she's just not voting. Exactly. Um, and this is only important if a bunch of people do it. Oh! So if six people were to recuse themselves, then you'd only have three people and you couldn't You couldn't do, do anything. But if they all just abstained, then you could have a vote. Super, uh, super minor technical detail there. Wow. Okay, so because of that, though, yeah. the motion did not pass because it was 4-4. Four, four. Yep. Straight down the middle. Yes. And because she was there, it was considered a not majority yes. vote. And I think this is interesting to look at because ultimately, Vita Harvey did vote in favor yes. of um, Project Grace because none of the other votes changed. Because when they came to the final vote, you know, I believe it was um, Paul Butler and Dale Falwell and State Auditor Beth Wood. Um, I will also note that this is, you know, this didn't fall on partisan lines exactly. Yeah. They're just people who are a bit more fiscally conservative um, or more traditional in the way that they want government projects to run. Yes. As, as opposed to people who had less of a problem of the county, you know, kind of working in an economic development angle here. Okay. But it's it's interesting to note that um, Butler's suggestion that Harvey recuse herself, uh, if that had held, this would not have gone forward. So he almost oh. tanked Project Grace again. But then they had this long argument about why you actually recuse yourself. And this was fascinating because usually it's the press doing this. Usually there's a vote and the press goes, hey, you know, Councilman X or Commissioner Y, like, your brother owns the yacht company that just got this development plan or whatever. Yes. And why did you vote on this? And in this case, they had a very public conversation slash argument as public officials about what allows you to recuse yourself. Because by law, you have to vote. If it's your first night at Vice Club, Fight Club, you have to fight. <laughs> yes, you do. If it's your first night at Vote Club, you have to vote. Um, so this is what um, LGC member Mike Philbeck had to say, basically saying you guys should not have pushed her to recuse herself and coerced her to abstain from voting. The legal counsel seemed to indicate that Miss Harvey does not have a conflict. I do think it's wrong for you and or Mr. Butler. I love and admire both of you. But I do think he bullied her, and I just, I'm very, very upset at the way this has gone down if this is not approved. Now, okay, they said that she should recuse herself. Why, though? So the suggestion was that because there could be a conflict of interest. Okay. And it's interesting because we're, we see this in two places. We see it in law enforcement. Yes. Um, where you've got a prosecutor or a police department or a district attorney who will basically recuse themselves. And they're using that term kind of non-specifically. Mm -hmm. So Ben David will send a case to the state prosecution level. Oh, I see, I see. Um, in one case, uh, you know, there were some charges, there were some potential criminal charges against uh, Julia Olson Bozeman okay. as a county commissioner. And what Ben David said was, look, because the DA's office gets some funding yes. from the county, not a lot, but even just a little bit. I see. I don't want to be seen as possibly doing this or, because there might be, um, some, yeah. yeah. If, I, if I hurt her feelings, she might not give us this money. But there's also cases where it's not about a direct benefit at the law, on the law enforcement side. For example, mm -hmm. when there was alleged crimes in New Hanover County schools, Ben David said, I don't want there to be any suggestion that there's anything funky about this case. I'm sending it to the state. Oh, okay. Even if there's the appearance of conflict of interest. 
but that's not the same when you're on an elected board. When you're on an elected board, there has to be like a proven direct way that you would benefit from it. Benefit. Okay, so let's say that Brian Eckel decided to fire Vita. Would that still be the, a reason why she should recuse herself? All right, so two things. One, probably not. You can't recuse yourself to avoid a negative. It doesn't seem to be something that lawyers advise. Huh. It has to be your, you would have to recuse yourself because otherwise you'd be basically voting to put money in your own pocket. Oh, okay. So the, But you have to vote. But you have to vote. And the other thing is that, you know, the suggestion here was that, you know, Brian Eccles' personal interests as a developer don't really line up with Novant. So Novant isn't involved in Project Race in any way. So basically what some of the board members were just saying was that there's too many steps. Yes. You know, and others were saying like, well, there's no way that Vita Harvey would benefit from this. It's not like... She'd get a bonus or a she raise. She would get a bonus or a raise. And so for all of those reasons, there just isn't that sort of direct straight line between you doing X, Y would happen. I'll give you a good example. I've seen... You know, in, in almost every case, state uh, state representatives, state senators, council members, county commissioners, they're all what we call amateur politicians in that they all have day jobs. Ah, okay. They all get stipends. They don't, they're not like congressional representatives. Oh, I see, I see. Who get like, you know, six-figure salaries uh, because that's all you want them doing. Okay. So they all have jobs. And that means that sometimes there's conflicts of interest in that your company is going to need a rezoning mm. or you might own you know say you own a um, I don't know you own a staffing company oh. and the city needs some extra staff well you can't vote to give yourself the contract That's yes not so you know on our community agenda this is one of where the concerns of people saying that there's developers on our county commission as well as our city council comes into issue yes and this gets to the crux of what we're talking about. So Falwell's complaints about Brian Eckel all center around the fact that everywhere you look in public-private partnerships, government deals with private companies for real estate transactions and development. Mm. Every time you look at one over the last couple of years, Brian Eckel is there. And his follow just kept saying, look, there's a lot of developers involved in local government, and Brian Eckel keeps getting these deals. And one of the things... the his fellow board members who didn't agree with him was kind of saying was like that's kind of a local issue so if the that's not an us issue yeah so i'm i'm kind of paraphrasing here but I'm, I'm giving you the spirit of what the debate was about was that be that as it may the lgc's job is to make sure counties cities towns villages don't endanger the taxpayers they don't make bad financial decisions yeah and they're saying look this is what the county wants to do these are elected officials who made a, a unanimous bipartisan vote to do this. They've got a stellar credit rating to pull it off. That's really the end of the day. And if people don't like that there are developers and real estate involved people in local government. That's a voting issue. Yeah. And if they don't like that they keep picking the same guy, well, that's that's their issue. they got to go to the polls and, and deal with that. And I'll also add that I've looked at all of these contracts over and over again, um, and I've looked at RFQs and RFPs and seen who threw their hat in the ring. Ah, okay. You know, for the government center, there was only one other company. You know, it was a company from Chicago. Huh. And I can see picking a local firm over a, a firm that's not from here. Yeah. You know, um, when it came to, for years, 
right? Before Echo got involved, there was only one developer ever threw their hat in the ring for Project Grace. Really? Because it's a big, complicated project. <laughs> you know, you're taking a lot of risk getting involved in something like that. Yeah. Imagine you sign on the dotted line, just to give you an example. You know, when you do a project with uh, the government, you often commit to a price. Mm. Now, you can change that, but sometimes there's what's called, you know, manager at risk contracts, basically that put the onus on you as the developer. To make sure you don't go over that price. Yeah, because if you do, that's cutting into your profit margin. Yes. The county's okay. only ever going to give you X amount of dollars. And then you have to pay the extra. So imagine you sign a contract for something in early, you know, in 2019. <laughs> oh, no. And then something happens in 2020, <laughs> you and know. And then there's inflation right or the or or because of the pandemic you know uh, supply chains jam up and steel now cost so much more than it did or labor costs so much more um and so you, you are taking on some risk and it would be there's a lot of development companies that would just rather build small office buildings uh -huh. houses stuff that's more predictable and so i i get some of the concerns paul and i've spoken about this three, four, five times. <laughs> and I understand his concerns. I understand why he would be frustrated and suspicious that every time he turns around, this guy's name comes up. Yes. But if you look at them one by one, you know, these were decisions that were made in open session. It's not super shady. And if you, and again, I, I, all I think you can say at the end of the day is if you don't like what county commissioners did with Project Race or the government center or the Bank of America building, if you don't like what city council did with Thermo Fisher, I, I don't think, based on my reading of the statute, based on the comments from all the LGC members, that seems to be out of Dale Falwell's jurisdiction. But it's not out of the jurisdiction of voters. No. So, regardless, now we've got these new signs because <laughs> they approved it. Yes. They approved the county's debt financing. They did. And um, I will say... Uh, a lot of people sit by the sidelines and just complain about stuff they don't like. There's been one person this whole time who's been the most outspoken critic above and beyond Dale Falwell, and that is Diana Hill. Uh, Here's a little bit of what Diana Hill had to say at the meeting. And I am here once again to ask you to stop this great loss to our community. You're our only hope. At last month's meeting, new words stood out to me your words for expedient and necessary, and the commissioner's words for policy. Expedient. After nine years of surreptitious planning, now it's expedient for the co commissioners and the county staff to get this approved. The word necessary. Is it necessary to replace a 100,000 square foot library with a 38,000 square foot library on the same block? The library should be all it can be, and that won't, be, that won't happen in one-third of the current space. And Diana Hill is just a citizen here in New Hanover County, but they let her speak at the LGC meetings. She created a Facebook group, Save Our Downtown Library. Okay. Um, she was also involved in protests against the hospital sale, um, but she's really been the center of this group. They've gotten hundreds, if not uh, over a thousand people to sign a petition. And, you know, she obviously found common cause with Dale Falwell, who's let her speak at several meetings. <laughs> yes. And, you know, she's articulated a wide range of reasons why she doesn't like this project, from reducing the overall square footage of the library from where it is now to what they're planning to do, to relocating the Cape Fear Museum away from someplace that has better parking. Um, she's complained about the destruction of the historic buildings, because even though they, in my personal opinion, 
aren't much to look at. <laughs> the downtown library and those buildings next to them are historic. Oh. And they do actually, they are part of the federal government's overall sense of how much of a historic downtown we have. Oh, okay, okay. And if you remove too many buildings, you can actually lose the ability to get federal tax credits. Um, for having a, like, historic... For sustaining historic buildings. Huh. This building, just to be super clear, this building in and of itself, knocking it down, knocking down the old Belk Shopping Center, which is now the downtown library, <laughs> Yes. Um, won't impact us directly. Okay. But the argument is that, like, every little piece that you chisel away, you lose a little bit of something. So she's had a, a, a wide range of complaints, and Falwell has given her time, sometimes equal time with the county, to, yes. to voice those complaints. So if nothing else, I, I think a tip of the hat is necessary uh, to her just for being dogged about it. Yeah. Agree or disagree. And also to Falwell for knowing the community well enough that he, you know, he found someone from the community who could offer a contrasting viewpoint you know, but at the end of the day, the vote was what it was, five to four, and now we have a project race. Hooray! After all this time. After all this time. <laughs> ben, thank you for being in the studio with me this week to recap everything and explain what happened. Happy to do it. Thank you so much for listening to the Cape Fear Rundown. Check out our show notes for relevant links and titles to the music we use this week. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or just general feedback, get in touch. Feel free to shoot me an email at cmojica, that's M-O-J-I-C-A, at whqr.org, or you can find me on x at Cami Reports. I'd love to hear from you. I'm your host, Camille Mojica, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>